Welcome back, listener, to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talk about critical issues in the blindness community. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about art. But before we do, let me remind you that this episode of Aaron's Opinion is copywritten by Aaron Richmond and Aaron's Opinion. This podcast can be heard almost anywhere you would find a podcast, and especially on YouTube, to which many of you in the audience are very, very excited and are really responding well to my latest advancement as far as me producing videos for you on YouTube. You guys really like it. Don't forget, follow Aaron's Opinion on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and even consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page. All right, tonight we are joined uh, by a student from MIT. Her name is Carmen, and she wants to talk to us about art. Carmen, you came to a particular group on Facebook, one of the blind groups, I don't remember, and it doesn't really matter. You posted a video where you wanted to talk about you know, accessible art or something. And for the purposes of the video and the reality of it is, I don't remember what you said about art in the video. So walk us through that and l let us know what exactly what you want to talk about as far as accessible art goes. And then I'll ask you a lot of questions. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'll start with the concept of the class. First of all, this class is the reason that students become mechanical engineers at MIT. It's so fun. It's a lot of work. But at the end, we make something really cool. And so my team has chosen uh, for our cool product, we think, uh, to make two-dimensional art something that um, blind people can experience um, in an understandable and enjoyable way. And uh, so we set out to find out what that means and what's already out there. And what we found was that there's a lot out there, but it's only in one museum at a time. Uh, for example, in Prague, they have what they call haptic gloves and um, they, you put them on and there are vibrations in the fingertips that will make it feel as if you've hit a solid surface. And you can run your, basically you can feel all around this statue that isn't actually in front of you and, but it, it feels like it is. And it's the same as if you were experiencing it by actually touching it. Um, in Nevada, there's a program called 3D PhotoWorks that takes 2D masterpieces like the Mona Lisa and um, they create a sort of a tactile, almost topographical map so that her nose is raised and her face is raised and the lowest part is like the edges of her face or the edges of her hair. And you can feel that her hair is curly. It's a very cool project. Um, so those are some of the things that are out there. What my team set out to do is to create something like pin art, which is, it's a toy meant for like six and seven year old birthday presents where uh, you can set it on top of just about anything. And the pins that are all set together very close will raise up according to the topography of whatever it's set on. It's most popular to set it on a face, for example. Um, anyway, it's, it's meant to just create a fascinating image, but we know that we can also feel the tops of the pins and they mock that shape. So we wanted to take that idea of the pins creating some, some topography 
and uh, translate a, a two-dimensional art piece to a topography using these pins. We ran into a lot of challenges that we're still sort of working out. Uh, like for example, to raise that many pins mechanically, the housing or the timing is absurd. You'd need something so big, the pins wouldn't even be recognizable anymore as a surface. Or you'd need so much time to move them up and down that it would take overnight to set even one piece of art, which wouldn't be that exciting. So we've been working on a few things like that, but I'd love to know anything I can learn about um, blindness and uh, how how people who are experiencing blindness for the first time or for their entire lives have found to experience art in all forms. Sure, sure. It's, it's really, this is a really fascinating concept for blind people. It's a really fascinating notion. Um, so as I said, you know, my, my name is Aaron Richmond. I'm born blind. Um, my, so my, my background and where this all ties in and how I got into this, you know, YouTube podcast business is about six or seven years ago now, about, uh, 2012. Yeah. About six years ago, I graduated uh, from a university with a degree in international relations and I needed to find a job. So I graduated. And then in the summer of 2015, I started working for, uh, some sort of a online company where I can teach English as a second language. And I've been doing that as my day job ever since. About a year ago, as most blind people or many blind people, or at least me, or and many other people are, I was, you know, binging, if I'm not on binging YouTube videos, I was binging podcasts from around the world. There are several podcasts that are oriented to and speak to a blind audience. However, I always felt in my heart that they just they just weren't doing it for me. They just really weren't open and they just really were not, um, you know, approachable. Someone just couldn't really come up to that podcaster and say, hey, you know what? I have an idea. Like, I couldn't just come up to a podcaster and say, hey, I, I want to talk about art, you know, and tell you about art. I felt that a lot of these other podcasters just were not, were not really receptive to, to that. And I'm someone with a lot of complaints. So I thought, well, since I love to complain and talk and educate people, why don't I start a podcast so I can talk and talk and talk? And that's what I did. So I created this podcast with the notion of basically, as I've started to say, even, even yesterday, I came out with a new slogan. I'm going to help, you know, to help one person today, help a million tomorrow. And that's something that I truly, truly believe in my heart as a content creator and as a podcaster. As far as my blindness goes, I was born blind. I'm 29 years old, by the way, born blind um, with glaucoma. I have some, you know, usable vision. Uh, that's, that's why I wear glasses, by the way. And um, I, I do not know how much you know or do not know, but just to let you know, most people who say that they're blind actually do have some usable vision. And what I mean by that is they're able to either perceive colors or shadows, lights, things around them. I don't tell people what I see because it's not possible for me to express things because there's no comparison. So there's no point in me trying to explain those types of things. I am able to pick out in artwork certain um, details, I suppose, especially with you know, some of the most famous artists in France 
um, you know, the most celebrated and famous, the people like, you know, Henri Matisse and people like that who really used color and really understood the value of showing art from a colorful perspective and utilizing light and color. So if artwork is colorful, it's very noticeable to me and I am able to notice, you know, colors, you know. Once I had someone on this podcast and she loved, she also, you know what, that, I'll tell you about that one later. That might be a good ep a future episode. I'll tell you about that person. That might be very interesting. I had someone on this podcast before who also is interested in accessible art and she actually, um, does paintings where the paint like puffs up and she does three-dimensional art. Yeah, I think I am going, after this recording in a few days, I think I am going to uh, consider doing a podcast with you and then maybe putting you in touch with this other person who you might find to be very, very interesting as well. Um, and one of the things that I told this person was I said, look, you know, I, I love snakes. You know, a snake is my dream pet. I say, which is true, it is. I say, can you paint for me a, a, a snake? And she says, no, I'm afraid of snakes. Well, that's helpful, I said. Can you, can you paint for me, can you paint for me a chameleon? I said, can you paint for me a, a panther chameleon? You know, the ones that are on shows and YouTube videos all the time. They're kind of um, green, I would say a lime green, kind of a turquoise color with some kind of reddish highlights and stripes and they're very distinctive creatures. I say, can you depict that in a three-dimensional sense for me? Sure she could. And we never got around to actually having her do that, but I'm sure she could. So I will tell you that, you know, when you talk to blind people about art, the opinions could be all over the place. Depending upon what it is, I think that it can be um, really, really, really interesting. However, I would like to help you to understand this for your research and your knowledge as a student. I want you to take this as, as more knowledge for yourself, that blind people are incredibly sensitive about the topic of art and what they are and are not able to see. So if you tell someone that you're going to create two-dimensional or three-dimensional art, well, you have to be careful what that is and you have to be careful about how it's presented. Is it presented as a work, as a standalone work of art all by itself? Or was it created to simply serve the needs of a blind viewer? Because that could be perceived as very insensitive to someone who's blind. So you do have to be very, very cautious about that, which is why I wanted to talk to you about this. One of the many reasons why I wanted to give you this knowledge and give you the opportunity to be on this show because um, some of the other people in that particular group that you posted in, I have noticed it, are a bit overly sensitive and do not, um, in my opinion, are overly sensitive about certain things and do not always re react well to certain, certain things, such as two-dimensional art, three-dimensional art, what is socially appropriate in the blindness community. So I think since art is a representation of society and our, our dreams, our fears, our hopes, our imagination, you have to be incredibly careful. All right, I talked a lot. There you go. What questions do you have? Does that, is that some more information for you? Yeah. Um, here's what I'd like to know. Uh, sure. For, from you, what is your favorite art medium? It doesn't have to be necessarily two or three dimensional or even have dimensions. For example, music doesn't have dimensions, but it's certainly an art. 
Well, I mean, I would say yes. For me, music would be music would be my favorite because I played the flute for many years um, at a relatively advanced level, you know, going to audition music camps and things like that in the summer. So I was very interested in music for a while and then I got interested in other things. So I would say, I would say, yeah, music is probably my favorite art form. However, if I see artwork that's really good and truly is valuable, then I still, I still look up to it. I still say, wow, that's, you know, that's really good. That's really excellent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, of all of the, uh, wait, hold on, Carmen. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I start a, a question and I'm not quite sure. Uh, I, it, you see, it's, it's in, in that, that's fine. Let me, let me help you by saying that in the podcasting community, you have to practice that by talking to yourself and thinking about what you want to say and talking and talking and talking and pausing and then talking. And sometimes, sometimes I do forget. Sometimes we do forget what we want to say and then we just change the topic to something else. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My, well, I'm trying to ask you about your favorite piece of art, um, but okay. in this case, I want to limit it from audio art to just visual or tactile art. Well, all right. Do you want to know what my favorite piece of music is, or do you want me to talk about the other forms of art? See, the other one, yeah. Okay, so you want me to talk about the other forms of art? Yeah. Ooh, there I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of art in museums, but a, a specific answer for your project couldn't give you that. I would say that there are some incredibly talented sculptures that I've seen, um, but it's hard to pin down a favorite. It's It, it would be impossible impossible for me to have a favorite because every piece of art, if it's good enough, it's really different. So there has to be something different about it. So it's, it's not something that I could easily compare, you know, to things like that. So I think that's really important for a blind person. Yeah. Uniqueness is, uh, makes it impossible to choose. That, that's what I'm hearing you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, correct. It's kind of it's kind of hard to say favorite with art because they're all so different. And if the artist got famous enough in history, they were really different to begin with. So any any art that's good can't be compared to other things, or else it wouldn't have gotten in the museum. So what I'm saying, I'm, I'm giving you that response to just to let you know that it's kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that question is just you know n slash a not applicable, but that's basically. I mean, I'm kind of saying that because it kind of is. It's not really applicable. You kind of can't do, can't say favorites for art. It doesn't work like that. I don't know. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. My next question has to do with because mm -hmm. we this product is aimed at museums purchasing. Right. Yeah. I want to hear about your experiences visiting museums. Mm -hmm. um, what's a reason that you would go or something that would attract you to a museum and then what made it so great when you got there? Mm. Well, a reason that I would go to a museum is if it has really good exhibits and if it's a really easy place to like navigate and walk around and if it's really well engineered, you know, you talked about mechanical engineering. Well, let's talk about civil. I mean, for a blind person, civil engineering, uh, a blind person has to easily be able to navigate the museum, walk into it, find, you know, find everything, find food, you know, find the bathroom, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of things that would create that factor. Um, but then it has to have, it has to have really good products. You know, it has to be well, um, well curated, I guess, is, is the term. So if it's about a topic that I'm interested in, like history or archaeology, and the curator did a really good job, then I would definitely go. 
but certainly I would go to an art gallery, provided that the art was the best. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, let's go back to uh, the idea that I proposed of the pins. Um, these and that, original pins. And yeah. that, so, okay, so that, that, when you were describing that to me, yeah. that didn't really make sense to me. Can, do you have a picture? I mean, I have some usable. Do you have a picture of it? Do you have any of these items? Do you, can you show me what it is a little bit? It's hard for me to understand yeah. what it is. Um, let's see. Am I allowed to share my screen on the Zoom call? I, yeah. yeah. Yes, I guess. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to stop you. Oh, it's not that. It's just that depending on the settings you have at the beginning, sometimes it doesn't let... Yeah, it says um, I'm not allowed to share uh the settings uh, yeah hmm. well no matter I um, my room yeah i wish maybe if you just googled it quickly uh pin art then you'd be able to pull it up uh but well, i don't know to, if that messes up the recording try, try to try to no, 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 no worries. Okay. So yeah. what do you, what do you want to know about pin art and, and what, what is your question? So let me see if I can give a better description to kind mm -hmm. of give it uh, some sense. If you uh, put, what's a good example for, uh, if you, if you have like, for example, a rod, a circular rod, and you put it through a hole that's just slightly too big, then it will slide freely and you can move it back and forth and there's no resistance. Um, if you put a lot of really small rods right next to each other in slightly oversized holes, then they'll slide up and down according to just what's below them. Keeping them from falling out becomes a challenge. Uh, we figured that much out, but uh, just what's underneath is really all that's gonna determine their position. So pin art, the toy, is what I just described. So that if you were to set it on, uh, for, on your hand, there would be a shape of a hand that is raised pins. And from the top of it, you can feel that it's the shape of a hand. You can also feel that it's made of pins. And so it's just bumps instead of um, a smooth skin texture. And so, when we're creating something like that, rather than having them just be free, we'll hold the pins up according to the position we choose, and it will take the shape of whichever art we've chosen to display. Does that give you a better- Yeah, yeah, uh, okay, got, got it. So it's something like the blind person could like take their fingers and like touch, touch the pins and like feel the shape of the art. Right. So let's say that it was a painting or a picture of a chameleon, like the pins would like form like the tail, the hooked tail, and then like mm -hmm. the legs and the and the paws kind of and the gloves that they have for hands like that. Right. Right. I would say for if you if it were a side profile of a chameleon. Yeah. The tallest pin would be like the middle of its body. Okay. Where it would be bulging out the most. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, yeah, so now, okay, now I'm able to understand this toyish thing. Now, now I do understand it. Um, 
so what is what okay now I'm I'm picturing it now so what so what is your question my question is what do you think is the ideal size of pin if and they need to be they'll be closer together if they're smaller um, if they're larger then they'll be maybe create a more continuous surface so that it feels more flat and smooth um, so my thought is just it, is there a too small or a too large for you? Well, the, the answer would be that for the blind people who are older, I will tell you that they would want the pins to be smaller because it would remind them of Braille. For the blind people who are younger, they would want the pins to be bigger because younger people are not learning Braille. For me, I will tell you, the best answer here, this is, this is a really, I'm impressed with, this is a hard assignment. This is really good. I would say for me, the answer, best answer, it depends on the art, right? What mm -hmm. are you trying to show me? The answer is very direct and very simple. It depends on the art. If the art warrants bigger pins spread further apart, then it warrants that. If it warrants sm uh, smaller pins uh, closer, together, then it warrants that. The question is, philosophically, don't ask me, ask the artist. You would have you, and that's one thing that, that you would consider, you would have to maintain the integrity of the piece you were trying to illustrate. So the better, the best answer of all is it depends on the art. That's very well said. And I think that that's something that I've sort of realized as I've gone through sort of finding different exhibits that are, um, blind accessible and what I've mostly found is that all of the best ones are original art that you're allowed to touch or able to see with limited vision and trying to duplicate a masterpiece that's two-dimensional is, is really impossible. It's, it's very hard to do it justice by translating it to a new, new medium. Exactly, exactly. Probably not doable, really. Um, mm -hmm. It would be it would be hard. It, it would be it would be difficult. Yes. So my next uh, idea after I did all these interviews had to do with uh, well, unfortunately, it's just not complicated enough to be a, a project. But I want to know what you would think if there were a large touch screen the size of a normal canvas um that was on a, a cart maybe it came with an audio tour but this touch screen whichever painting you're closest to it will display it on the screen and then it will have brightness and contrast controls um, anything that you could use on like a phone um, i've talked to a lot of uh, people who say like they can take pictures on their phone and then adjust it so that their eyes pick it up better um, Anyway, I want to know, like, and then you'd be able to zoom in, make it bigger or smaller. Um, what's your feedback on that idea? Is it uh, too simple or doesn't reach enough people? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but tell me what you think. Well, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, do you mean, do you mean that this would be a product that would be like in a museum and an art gallery for, in a special exhibit at the, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's like I don't really have enough information about it to know. I think it would depend on how it was curated, right? And how it was marketed. I mean, that's, that's a critical thing. 
what, and, the, and the context, is it something that blind people would go to at a, at a specific museum? Or would these just be kind of everywhere? Uh, what, what, what is the, um, what, is the mar what, what do you know about the marketing of this product? Well, not much, because if I'm honest, I, it's a pretty young idea. Um, okay. But the way that I envision it is, um, well, see, I go to church, and um, at the church, we have, just for whenever we need it, a TV on a cart. And you can roll it into whichever classroom for Sunday school, and you can show a video that day. And then you roll it back, and it, we lock it up. So I'm thinking of these TVs on the carts, but we made it, make it a touch screen and make it very um, easy to use just for viewing pictures. Hmm. Um, we would also provide buttons, I think. You'd have the option of using the touch screen or, or using the buttons. Um, but what it would do, in my mind, is it would make it so that while you're near the art, you can see it properly. But if they don't let you get close enough that you're actually able to see it, you'll have this cart here that you can view it on the screen at the same time. Again, the answer is I agree with the idea. It depends on the art and it depends on the environment where that is. Where that is. There are certain environments in a noisy museum and a stressful museum where a blind person simply is not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. And that blind people, most of them are quite sensitive about these types of issues. So they just are not, some of them are not going to be willing to make it noticeable to other people that they are using that type of technology, see? You have to be kind of cognizant of that at the same time. So there, I mean, the answer is it could be. It depends on the art and it depends on the technology and it depends on the place and the, you know, on the whole scenario, on, on the whole story, basically. I think you're right about that. I think that it's, you know, a simple and, and a, an inexpensive idea for the museum, but it doesn't uh, necessarily universally solve any problem. It's just sort no. of a nice prop. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice idea, but no, it's not solving any problem. No, it doesn't, and it doesn't need to solve any problem. I'm not asking you to solve problems. I already had, I had, I had someone on, on the show earlier today who does want to solve problems <laughs> and the problems he want to solve cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of glad that you don't have a problem for me to try to help you to solve. Cause once you start having the problem, the problem becomes too expensive. And then, and the problem is you don't want that problem to solve. Is what right. it comes to. <laughs> <laughs> then the problem gets out of then it then it just then it just becomes okay that's a bad idea next is what that comes down to um but i mean i think really you know you do you do have to be you know careful about how this is how this is uh you know perceived um you know by by the blindness community and i i would have to ask um what Originally, where did you get this interest in in blindness and blind people from? So maybe a family member of yours is blind. Maybe you've met someone. Um, I actually can't say for this product idea where it came from because I wasn't, our team was sort of split in half and I was on the wrong half to see its origination. 
But the reason that it's meaningful to me personally mm -hmm. is, um, is this. When I was uh, very young, I went to church with a girl only two years younger than me uh, who was blind from birth. Mm, okay. And uh, she never had any sight at all. And from my, like, I don't know how to say this, like she moved, I moved, we eventually ended up in the same school again. And, um, and so throughout my childhood, there are just scattered stories of like, um, her name is, uh, well, I probably shouldn't share her name online. Um, but so we you just have these one, stories of yeah. how wonderful, we'll call her Jen, um, how wonderful she is and, and uh, how, what a delight it is to be around her. And most right. recently, this last summer, I drove her uh, to church because we went to a particular young adult um, congregation. And the whole way there, the whole way back, she would tell me about the movies that she'd seen recently and give me the reviews. And so she's just a very good friend of mine and someone that I always think back on our time together very happily and look forward to seeing her again whenever we oh. come together again. So, so, yeah. So cool. So, okay, well, see that, that, that answers. So that's a really important answer to give. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it shows me that you're making this connection between a product and friendship. I appreciate it. But j just because you have a blind friend, it's very sweet. And I believe this, mm -hmm. it, the story is true. It's very cute, very sweet. That's not a reason. And I'm saying it from a professional standpoint that's not a reason to develop a product just because you're friends with someone it's not it's not a reason to to market out a product that could be perceived by some as insensitive which it may in fact be i support i support your idea um i i think it i think it can be a very very good idea if it's done properly better question have you asked all these questions to jen I haven't. I messaged Jen probably the day that we started this project, and I was like, "We should really have a phone call, and I'd love no, to talk you, to you." And about you know it. what? And actually, no, you really shouldn't, because the answers she would give you would would increase bias in the in the project. So then, be just because you like this, just because you're friends with her you're going mm -hmm. to be more le likely to agree and less likely to ask critical questions. So actually, no, I don't think in this case, if you want accurate, you know, if you really want to get this done and you really want to nail this, you know, really want to get the, the, the true essence of the appropriate research, no, don't ask Jen because you'll be, you'll be biased just because you're friends with her. And there's weird stories about that. Like people are friends with certain people. So they think they perceive a whole thing one way just because they know the person, you know, there's all sorts of effects about that. So, my favorite yeah. story, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no you problem. off. But my favorite story regarding that is, um, and you could call this hearsay for, for how far down the grapevine I am, but I heard once that the author of Coraline wanted to publish it as a children's story. And the publisher was like, no, it's way too scary. And he was like, watch this, I'll read the whole thing to my daughter. And if she's never scared, you have to publish it as a children's story. So he read all of Coraline to his daughter, which is just like a very terrifying, it's so terrifying I haven't seen the movie. I'm very scared of it just from like screenshots that I've seen and like little clips. What is, no, that I haven't seen. What is it though? What is Coraline? What? Coraline is, it's a scary movie. To give you an idea, if you've ever seen anything by Tim Burton, he's kind of a creepy director. And, um, 
there's like some relation to, I think she falls into like the land of the dead and eventually her eyes get pulled out and they're replaced with buttons. And I don't know, I, this is all that I've gathered from not seeing the movie, but it, it seems very scary to me. And um, anyway, so the author read the book to his daughter and she never seemed scared and they had to publish it as a children's movie and as a result, or as a children's book. And as a result, the movie is uh, claymation or maybe just animation. It very much appears like a child's story. And then you watch it and you're, you're scared out of your mind. And in an interview as an adult, they were like, how were you not scared? She goes, I was scared the whole time. I just thought that my dad or mom, I don't know who the author is. I just wanted, I just thought that my parent wanted me to not be scared. So I acted brave. <laughs> so you got that's, fasc that's fascinating. Utterly fascinating. It's exactly what I'm talking. That is a really cool example of that. That's that's really okay. That's just weird. In yeah. addition to scary and disturbing, that's that's just weird. And it doesn't right because people have bias based on their family members or close friends. Of course, they have bias. Because what child is going to say no, no, mom, I'm too afraid. Stop reading. Right. No child. The answer is no child would say that. So it's see that that whole project is biased on its own right there. Probably there's already bias there. So that's really that's an that's an an, an interesting example of that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that pretty much concludes the questions that I have for you. Do you did you have any questions for me? I, let, let me ask you a question that doesn't involve being creeped out by a creepy director or a scary book um <laughs> so all right so you know with everything with everything that's going on i think this is a very fair question if this product goes to market and museums maybe want to buy this product um what's the one reason why they should buy it if you're only going to give one sentence a one sentence reason why should they buy it Hmm. Okay. So, so maybe, maybe that, that pause shows me that maybe, um, I, I would, I would encourage you to keep up your, keep up your great work with this, but I, I think you need to interview more people. Who else, um, have you done other interviews on other podcasts about this? Podcasts? No, this is my first podcast ever. Um, but I have conducted some interviews just one on one with a few people. And if I'm being honest, I haven't gotten very positive feedback about specifically the pin idea. And uh, it's really been sort of a mixed bag for the screen idea. So okay. what we've gotten from this, my, my team and I, is that we really set out to do something that not every, that maybe no one wants. And we, it hadn't occurred to us before. Well, I'll be honest, it kind of occurred to me, but it, <laughs> most of my team had not realized that there was a possibility that no one would want this. And so it's been a big week for us of, of taking a really critical look at what our idea was and what it needs to be to be useful. So to to compliment you, you're you're doing an excellent job. By the way, you did you did a great episode for someone who's never been on a podcast. You did a great one tonight. 
Um, my, my constructive criticism is that, yeah, I think that the idea needs some work and it's not a perfect idea. I'm not saying it's your idea because it's not. I'm simply saying that this whole notion of accessible art, well, I would strongly encourage that you talk to other blind people. Keep, keep gathering information. After I, after I publish the video on YouTube, I'll send it back to you, to which then you can do with whatever you want with the YouTube video. You can send, share it with your friends, share it with your teammates, share it with the professor. I, I don't care what you do with it. After, only after I publish it, you can do whatever you want with the video um, and the accompanying podcast that goes with this. But I, I, will, I will end the, the, you know, kind of wrap it up to kind of conclude by telling you that, that truthfully, truthfully, I, I appreciate art, love art. I love the idea that you have. I think that we need to kind of steer the wheel a little bit here, you know, reset our compass, get ourselves a little bit back on course, and then, and then you could be on to a really really great product that blind people around the world will really appreciate. Until then, I would strongly encourage you to, yeah, think about this more, get more information, be more knowledgeable, keep doing, keep doing podcasts like this, keep reaching out. Um, it doesn't surprise me that there was negative negativity about it. That doesn't surprise me. And that's, you know, kind of my, kind of my feedback. I hope that you came for honest, you know, an honest review and, and honest feedback like that. Oh, yes, of okay, course. Okay, good, good, <laughs> great, great. All right, all right. Well, in general, um, I mean, that's, that's all I have. Um, I mean, I think that's, I mean, do you have any, do you have any final things you want to say? Any final questions? But that's basically all, all, all the material I have for this one, basically. Well, I just wanted to thank you for, for so having well, me on the podcast my, and for and answering And you're always, and you, you're uh, someone who's always welcome on my podcast. As a matter of fact, let me just end it. Let me just end the recording and then I'll tell you something else. So as I said, ladies and gentlemen, that was it. I'm Aaron Richmond. And of course you're listening or watching, most of you out there are watching Aaron's opinion now. Very artistic, um, a very artistic version tonight. Guys, how about this? In the comments, why don't you guys comment below what you think and ask her questions in the comments? I'd be more than happy to compile them together. If I have enough of them, I might just do a solo episode where I read the comments or something like that. All right. Uh, if you want to tell me, um, as far as contacting me is concerned, as I said, please consider joining my Patreon page if you want out there in the audience and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere you could. Also, if you want to write me a nasty email and tell me why I'm going to hell, you're more than welcome to do so at Aaron'sOpinion6 at gmail.com. No, no one ever does that, right? So that must mean that I'm just a fabulous guy and you all love me. So you can still write an email that tells me what a great job Aaron's Opinion has done on educating the world at Aaron'sOpinion6 at gmail.com. All right, everybody. As I like to say on this podcast, I wish the world very good health. And as I say, if, my, if I only do one thing, I can promise you this. I'm going to help one person today and maybe just maybe help a million other people tomorrow. <laughs>